we read about God using all kinds of people to accomplish his will and achieve victory in different areas. Even so, many people have the impression that all of the good guys in the Bible are ancient versions of people such as our fathers, our grandfathers, or someone that we look up to. If you've ever felt like everyone in the Bible was a benign saint, you need to read the story of Ehud in Judges chapter 2. A left-handed liar who assassinated an obese king in order to free God's people from a long period of slavery and oppression. After falling back into sin, idolatry and servitude, it took a concoction of strategy, pride and guile. The least of all people became the most important for a nation. On today's episode, we dive into the life of Ehud ben Jira, an outcast from birth who stepped up when his people required it the most. On today's podcast, an episode, we're going to focus on the life of Ehud ben Jira. And today, friends, I myself, Kessel Baldo, would be your host, but I can't do this by myself. So I brought a couple of friends along with me to help break it down and shed some light. So with my co-host, as you guys are familiar with, I want to welcome Pastor Daniel Charles, all the way from the Ephesus Seventh-day Adventist Church in America. Pastor, how are you doing? That's what's going on, man. We're doing okay. To all of our viewers, how are y'all? I hope you are blessed today uh, as we dive into God's Word. So I'm good. Kes, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, it's been a long week, a tiring week. You know, we're wrapping up to the end of the year, but I have finished work for the year so far. And I'm on annual leave until the new year. So God willing, we're able to see the beginning of 2021. And I mentioned that I had two friends. And the second person I would like to introduce is Elder Fraser from the Ephesus Sunday Adventist Church. Elder, how are you doing today? Good evening, good evening. Um, I am doing well, glad to be a part of this conversation. Um, I read the story and it's definitely one that is new to me. And I'm just going through it and can't wait to see what the discussion will bring for us um, this evening. So definitely glad to be a part of this discussion. Amen, amen. And just quickly, um, Elder, within the next 30 seconds or so, can you just share with the listeners a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Maybe something that you're interested in? Just, just a little insight into who you are. All right, yes. Um, I'm born and raised in um, Gastonia, North Carolina. Um, I moved to New Orleans in 2015 to um, pursue a career in counseling. Um, I graduated in 2019 with my master's degree and I'm now working towards my licensure as a licensed professional clinician. Um, I'm also celebrating my fifth year of marriage uh, this past November. And uh, family is doing well. My family back home in North Carolina are doing well. And by God's grace, um, my, not my leadership, but our leadership at the 
Ephesus Seventh-day Adventist Church there in New Orleans, Louisiana, is um, serving the community, is serving the people of God. So those are my main interests. Um, when I'm not involved in church or anything like that, I'm usually reading a book or watching sports center or just catching up on the day's news. But um, glad to be here. And um, I think that's a little a little small snapshot of about who, who I am as a person, as an individual. Amen, amen. You see, today, listeners, we are truly blessed to have some fantastic people shedding some some light on the word of God today. And as I mentioned, or as you know, that we are going to focus on the life of Ehud Ben-Jira. And the story is found in Judges chapter 3. However, before we discuss Ehud, I think it's important to know what happens right before. And in Judges chapter 2, we read that Joshua, the son of Nun, has passed away. And the children of Israel, under his leadership, they were serving God. But after he passed away, they went to a period of sin they went to a period of disobedience to god and then in judges chapter 3 it says that god raised up a person or a guy called othniel who was from the line of caleb now as i mentioned or as you know from the previous stories when the israelites went to spy on canaan the promised land 12 of them went and there were two who said that we can take the city and the rest of them said that we couldn't. The two were Joshua and Caleb. So we know from this lineage and this genealogy that Othniel is from a very strong background. You can say like he's either from the pastor's background or maybe you from first elders background like whoever we want to class as a strong spiritual that's his lineage and he now judges the israelites for a period of years and he is the first judge of israel but then he unfortunately passed away and then the children of israel falls back into sin now i want to stop here And just talk about what is happening right now. Because what we are seeing is a sort of cycle of leadership to sin to leadership. It was almost as if without someone by themselves or pulling their hand or guiding them, they had no sort of spiritual connection or leadership to God. Elder, can you comment on that for me please like this sort of cycle that they used to go through and any correlation that we ourselves may have in this day and age yeah um i think that makes a lot of sense for us today um typically speaking we especially when it comes to the things of god we more easily follow a pastor or some type of leader um, especially one who has studied, who has um, someone who f- who we feel has the experience to lead us in spiritual things. And we maybe subconsciously or even consciously attach ourselves to those individuals. And we can almost 
as a result of that, put, the, put them on a pedestal to a degree so that when they um, either leave one church to, you know, serve at another church or when something unfortunate happens, as in this story, the leader passes away, the people are lost. Um, the people are trying to find their way. And before too long, they fall into their old habits again. So with us as on this end of the Bible story where we're having leaders to come through our churches and they, they may stay four or five years and others may stay longer, the, 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 the pinnacle of that experience is typically my, my spirituality is connected to the pastors. So if the pastor is praying, then I'm praying. If the pastor is studying, then I'm studying. But the moment we hear that the pastor is about to leave or something else happens, so what are we going to do? Who's going to come in to follow him? And we kind of find ourselves losing our way because there's not a leader there um, to guide us, to direct us. And I think it's, it's critical that we individually have our own and develop our own walk with God while at the same time putting the leadership of a pastor or an elder in its proper perspective, such that we don't lose our way when that individual moves on to another, to another assignment. So I think the, the children of Israel here did not necessarily recognize or re, uh, remember that point that their individual relationship with God is as critical and is as powerful as the man of God or the woman of God that God has set up to lead and guide them. You know, I, I just caught this. Uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So in, th in this kind of sense, um, uh, <laughs> you, can, you can blame the generation before them. They did not tell, the, obviously, they did not tell their children about this Lord that they serve, you know, who brought them out of the way, who got them to the point of, of Canaan. Um, they, they just didn't tell. And, and even though, uh, you know, again, we, we are supposed to have our relationship with the Lord. We are supposed to, you know, have it, you know, it's one-on-one -on -one time with him. At the, but at the end of the day, if we are not told, if we are not kind of taught in, in the way to go, if, if, if we don't have from a young child, our parents there kind of guiding us, whatever the case is, even though the Lord uh, knows that and takes that consideration, it is much difficult for us to now come into this relationship with the Lord who we haven't known. And now we're in adulthood and we got to figure out it on our own. So, uh, to, you know, accredited to the children of Israel who before them, who didn't teach their children. The reason why they had all this cycles and all this sort of stuff of going into Canaan and being captured and repenting and going into Canaan, captured, being, repenting, all because their parents didn't tell them who, who the Lord was. And that has shown an effect for even us today uh, for, you know, children who, you know, you know, when we say, oh, they're mischievous, they're, they're just terrible, man, we're an evil generation. Well, it's because they've been, they've been brought up with the Lord, right? They haven't been told who the Lord is. And so not to say that they're uh, totally blameless, but you do, we cast blame on everybody. Everybody is to blame for not uh, encouraging one another in the Lord. Um, and then going on to Elder Frazier's point that eventually we're going to have to decide for our own. If we're not raised up, if we're not raised up in that way, it's going to be much difficult for us to realize the God in our lives um, from before. So, yeah. Amen. And, you know, going off of that point, the Bible literally tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
And it's crazy because you hear of like these churches, especially the Catholic church or some of these ch Sunday churches, they preach it a lot where they say, give us your child for the first seven years of your life. And then once you do that, they know that your child or they will believe that your child will be Catholic for the rest of their life, right? And it's crazy because in those first seven, eight, you stretched up to 10, maybe pre-teens or early teens, those years, critical years, like there are psychologists and scientists who say that by age eight, the mind of a child is already made up for how they will live their life. So if they were treated with love or if they were shown examples of the right things, like the way they grow up would be in a loving manner and they will showcase love to someone else or they would be find themselves within the church. But if, if you influence them with the wrong things, then as they grow, then it will have negative impact on them. And you know, it's just, it, it, it's just crazy how that works but you know as we continue with the story we we start finding out a little bit more about Ehud because the bible makes mention that Ehud he was a left-handed person right he was a left-handed person and usually when we read things in the bible especially things that are like sort of adjectives describing words these things are put in there for a reason and i'd wonder or i'd ask anyone daniel or jj is there a reason for the lord or for for him being left-handed was there a reason for him being left-handed why it's in the bible is it specific for any reason yeah um I think just in just on the surface, we see in the story of Ehud where, like you said, in verse 15, um, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Jerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. Um, and then right there in verse uh, 16, it says, now Ehud made himself a dagger and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So just right there on the surface, um, if I'm going to use a dagger and I'm a left-handed man, it's easier for me to reach to that dagger and pull it from my leg if it's on the inside of my right thigh. So on the surface, I think um, God is, uh, or God is telling us through the book of Judges that it's critical for you to understand that he's left-handed in order to see how the rest of this story plays out as we move further. Um, but I, I believe Daniel has a little bit something more. It wasn't normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go go ahead, Daniel. Go ahead. No, no, no. But what, like what Elder Fraser was saying, he's not normal. Like this is this is this is important. So like, uh, yeah, everybody who's listening, trying to take this point from Elder Fraser, you know, look at those key things that are kind of like, okay, th this little technical di difficulty or detail in the text, you gotta you know just grab it, whatever the case is, grab it. So that's one thing I take from what you know what Elder Fraser said, but. You know, just don't even going back in the text, going back in the text, we're talking about Eglon and him being, you know, gathering himself the people of Ammon or whatever the case is and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. One thing I did not see that I did not notice in the text is this description of the city of Palms. Now that's now that's no now that's something that just jumped out to me. So I quickly looked it up. That describes Jericho. Jericho was called the city of Palms. Now, why is it significant in the text? 
this is significant is because a heathen king, <laughs> a heathen king has taken possession of Jericho, where a hundred years before, or at least a, a couple you know, years back, Joshua took over Jericho and, and Israel, and that was proved to be one of Israel's greatest victories at Jericho. And this was to remind Israel that, hey, your Lord, your God is going to give you this land. And the fact that Eglon takes this is now saying, oh, I'm God. And because my people have not listened to me, I'm going to allow the enemy to take everything that I've allowed you to get. And that's kind of depressing. <laughs> like, 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 that's kind of depressing. Like Jericho, th this was the first city y'all fought in Canaan. Like this should, uh, this should be a, a memorial to everybody that God will do what he said he would do. And yet a heathen king, Eglon, comes in and takes possession of the city. And so this is why now the Lord has to use somebody abnormal, a left-handed man, <laughs> to go and to do something uh, spectacular. You know, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, man, the little details in the text, everybody, they, they, they go a long way. They go a long way. And you know, it's crazy because that's really interested in what you just picked up. And it's crazy because we spoke not long ago about cycles and the Israel and the Israelites falling into the cycle of sitting once the leader um, first Joshua passed away and then Oatmeal has now passed away and they, they, they keep falling back into the cycle of sin. But what's crazy is that they have been held captive by the Moabites right by the Moabites now if anyone knows anything about the Moabites you can say they have been held captive by one of their great 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 cousins if you want to put it ancestors. <laughs> or ancestors right because the Moabites if you didn't know they, they came from the, the line of Moab and Moab was one of the sons of Lot. Now, it's it's crazy that the Israelites are pretty much in servitude to their own ancestors, which is really interesting. But now being in servitude, what we realize is God has now used the Israelite ancestry to capture their own people. Because we realize that Eglon is the king of Moab, right? And is Moab, even though they are um, relatives or ancestry of the Israelites, they were worshipping their own pagan gods. But God has now delivered these Israelites into the hand of Eglon, who the Bible say was an obese, uh, a very obese king. Now, it seems like if the Lord is using his own people to capture his own people, it's a bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's, it's, it's yeah, all good. <laughs> but it's almost as it's almost as if. But that's why we're here, guess We're here. This is what we exactly. But it's almost as if he's using his his people to or the ancestry of his people to capture and to teach his own people a lesson. So we come now, and the children of Israel are disobeying and are sinning, and they cry out to God, and God was like, you know what? I'm going to teach these people a lesson. So he captures them into the the hand of the Moabites. Now we come to God answering the prayers of the Israelites. And he raises up Ehud. And guys, this is where the story begins to get 
really interesting because now we see Ehud coming into the focus of everything. We've established that he's a left-handed person and we've established that left-handers were almost seen not as outcasts but everything or whoever was chosen was always a sort of right-handed person and we're about to see why back in those days we read that when people would go to war or they had armies usually anyone fighting would have the sword in the right hand because the left hand would be used to shield so God was working on their behalf and creating an escape, a way out in a situation or in a person that they didn't believe was possible. God was, was working a plan or God was making things possible in when they couldn't even see it. I was right there, Claire. Daniel, I, Daniel I was, go man. on. Uh, I got to bring, bring up the phrase on this. Like, what, what, what is it? I know this is common for us to, to, you know, to see. But we got we gotta stop right here and park that, you know. It's important to know that God uses people that we don't think is going to be used. Like it, it, it's it's look at us. <laughs> look, 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 look at us for example. And we we've allowed God to use us in ways that we never thought that we would even get to. So what is the importance of this? And you know, Elder Fraser, please jump jump in and you know, just tell us. Yeah, I, I think um I think the importance of it for me is that it's an it's another reminder that God doesn't use people the way that we use society, the, the way that we would use people in society. So if I want um, a certain job done in my, in my house, I'm going to call someone who's skilled in that area to do that job. If I need the lights fixed or the carpet redone or um, something in the, in the kitchen is broken, I'm going to call a person who is skilled in that area. That's not how God works. He literally almost goes out of his way to use the unskilled, the unknown, um, someone who we would consider on the margins to do his work. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, Kess, where there might have been a little, a little bit of a stretch where God is using his people to, to save his people. And that's, the, that's literally the world that we live in today. We're God's people, but there are some who have turned away from God, who have left God for whatever the reason is, but we're all still God's people. So he's using us to call our brothers and sisters out of Babylon into this marvelous light. So um, the, the idea that God uses those types of individuals lets us know, lets our listeners know that God literally uses anyone. You don't have to have a master's degree. You don't have to have a doctorate. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be someone who's um, building conversations through podcasts. You can literally be anybody, anywhere, anytime. And if you are available to God, he can use you. Jump it, jump it back, Elder. Jump, jump it back. Stay right there. <laughs> like, you know, God should use us. Like, and, and, and what should that do to us? Because what you said was very important. And guess what you said might not be a stretch at all. Because when you say God's people, <laughs> you know, you know, kind of taking in God's people, we that shit kind of. And then when Daniel Elder Frazier, when he said something about Babylon, every every last one of us have a little bit of Babylon in us. Every last one of us have a little captivity in us, to where we want to continue being captive and everything like that. 
know, just because I, I may be in the church, I may be, I may be an elder, I may be a pastor, whatever the case is, you know, it doesn't differentiate me from a child of God. Yes, my spiritual life with him, that's, mine may be up here, yours may be all the way down here. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all going to get the same crown, the same, the same robe, whatever the case is when we see him. But what is that? What, what, what should that do with us? Like that knowledge that we are, <laughs> that, you know, that we are all basically on the same path. What should that do? It's, it's almost as if um, we're being picked for something. Like no, no, when you're in school, you, no one wants to be picked last for anything. Even if you're not good at the thing, at the, at the, at the thing that you're about to do as you're separating into teams, no one wants to be picked last. And that concept of being picked last does not exist with God. He's literally handpicked all of us. And that should remind us of his love. That should encourage us to be available to God and literally saying, God, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm available. I don't, I don't have all of the words. I didn't finish college to season my uh, my articulation of the text or whatever the case is, but I am available. And that that should be enough to encourage us. And that God can do so much with someone who is willing to be used more so, I believe, than he can with someone who is educated and wants to be used. Because there's there's a little bit of a tendency to communicate that I earned being used by God or that I'm I'm worthy to be used. When we look through the scriptures, none of us are worthy to be used. Like he literally picked Ehud out of a hundred other men who were warriors who probably were more skilled at fighting. But because Ehud more than likely might have been the only left-handed man in that city or that town because it was a rarity, God says, I'm going to do something different with this guy. That his story for all of the four or five verses that he's in the Bible is going to shine brighter than anyone who may have been more skilled than him. So to me, the, the encouragement is that no matter who you are, if you came from a single parent household, if you don't know who your parents are, or you're searching for your real dad, or, your, or whatever, no matter the type of life that you have, God can literally use anyone for his glory. Amen. Amen. And you know what's crazy about this whole Ehud story? Ehud was from the line of Benjamin. Now, if you realize, Benjamin was Joseph's only full brother. Joseph had a, he had a lot of half-brothers, but, but Benjamin, he and Joseph, they shared the same mother, and which means like he's from a very good lineage as well. So although he seemed, or he may not have seemed, you know, like people like to use the phrase whether it be for preaching or whatever god does not call the qualifier he qualifies the call in this sense god wasn't calling the person who was the most skilled he wasn't calling the soldier he was qualifying who he believed was right for this situation and what did he do with saul what did he do with saul yo saul kids when god is like okay i choose you to be a king saul says Hey, well, I'm from the smallest tribe, man. I'm from Benjamin. Well, why, why do you have to choose us? But, but God does the God does the impossible. And he chooses the people that are least likely to be chosen. There you go. Right when God is raising up Ehud after they 
they're whining and they've gone through the pain and suffering. It says that they have been suffering or it took them 18 years. 18 years. Now, JJ, Daniel, I mean, we all may sin at times because we are born in sin and we're shaped in iniquity. We all may um, fall short of the glory of God at times. But if I sin, I'll be like, Lord, forgive me. Like maybe there and then, or maybe after reflection at a later period, like I'll be like, forgive me. Am I going on my knees? Would it be it fast and pray? But we all seek that. We all confess and seek repentance and forgiveness of sin. But it took these Israelites 18 years. JJ Daniel, anyone, can you comment on this? Like, why must it take them so long? Why must they endure so much hardship, be in servitude to pagan nation for so long before they come to God? There's there's an element of this that I see um, that the Israelites um, agreed to this this um, this partnership, so to speak. So um, no one is going to sit in a house um, while the, the trash can is overflowing. And I think we've all lived long enough to know what an overflowing trash can smells like after a few days, right? It's not the most pleasant smell. So the, the very hint of that says, hey, listen, somebody needs to take the trash out today and get a new bag in there, right? So there's, there's some element of these 18 years that the children of Israel were comfortable with the smell of the rule that they were under. They, they, they had grown used to what it felt like to be under a pagan king. They had grown used to serving other gods. They had grown used to doing evil in the sight of the Lord, as it says in verse 12. So there's an atmosphere of uh, apathy, complacency that they were okay with for nearly 20 years. So that's, that's what I see. I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to Daniel, but that's that's what I see. No, that, no, that's true. That's I think that's absolutely true. The fact that they are comfortable in, in this. Um, as you as you as you look down the pages of history, when when children of Israel, you know, they have kings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, let's, let's use Hezekiah for example, and, and let's use his dad, King Ahaz. They uh, they were in subject to Assyria. And they gave their they gave their um, the tribute and everything like that, and they served the king of Syria. The king of Syria didn't mess with them, they, you know, didn't do anything, whatever the case is. But as soon but as soon as time comes, they just uh, you know, Syria's just like, okay, tribute has to be up, and they're just like, oh, we can't do this, you know, we we can't do this. So now, <laughs> Assyria, who is now your friend, now becomes your enemy and wants to do certain things. So uh, eventually, and and this is kind of what this is what sin is. Sin is literally at first on the onset, it will be attractive to you. It will be attractive to you. And it, it is something that you want to engage in. But over time, as it, as it progresses, you will start to deteriorate and it will start to deteriorate and you will want a way out. But because you, we have continued in that process of sin and whatever the sin may be, the case is, it has become comfortable and it's so hard to get out of it. It's like, it's like hard in caramel. It's just hard to break whatever the case is. And so like this 18 years, they may have been enjoying it at first and they want to get out of it, but now they realize, okay, let, let, let's use this for example. Let's just use our imaginations. Nothing wrong with this audience to use your imagination. Please do so. We just uh, we highly educate <laughs> to you to do so. But like, 
I, I, I can just imagine the first maybe 10 years. Okay, it's good. Israel's getting some kind of diminution. The, 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 the Moabites are not attacking. They're not destroying. Year 11, okay, more taxes. Year 12, more taxes. Uh, year 13, okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start giving you raids. Start raiding through your land. 14, 15, it gets worse and worse. Now, children of Israel want to get out of it, but, not, but now they realize, man, if we really break our promise, this man's going to sweep us away. So what, what can we do? And here's the cry out to the Lord. And the, Lord's been, the Lord's been waiting this whole time. And he has, he's not angry. He's not upset. He's just like, man, this could have been done with. <laughs> this could have been done with. <laughs> like, Elder, come back in. Come back in, because I know you got something. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that point, because as you were talking, I'm thinking, what in the world is God thinking during these 18 years that his people are in bondage? Like, this shows us the mercy of God, the love of God, that he will wait for us to call out to him before he shows up, right? So there's, there's so much in here about the 18 years that they're experiencing, but it tells us a lot about God. When he could have showed up in, in that first half year and completely done away with all that has been set up, but because he loves He's not going to force himself on us, or he's not going to force himself in our situations in this particular instance, in, in this case. And it, I, think it, I think it shows how our relationship to God is dependent on our mindset, is dependent upon um, what we want from God. So when we see that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, we're essentially telling God, God, I don't need you. I don't want you in my life right now. I'm okay, I'm good with, with this Moabite king. And as Daniel outlined, the years got worse and worse. And pretty soon they said, okay, you know what? This is not working out for us. We know someone who can treat us better, who, who we can call on anytime we're in help. Okay, God, we need you. Yeah, it might've taken 18 years, but we've come to our senses now. And it shows us how much God loves us, that he's willing to wait for us, especially in this situation, before he shows up to send a deliverer. You know, um, in like, even in Micah, chapter 7, verses like 18 and 19, it talks about like, who is God for like, what God delights in mercy. It's crazy that you guys have just made that point because... 18 years I can't even think 18 years is like nearly three quarters of my life and to be just sitting in sin or just be staying in a in a place whereby I know I can get out of it but I just have chosen not to seek the help I need it just blows my mind but you no know, coming back to the story I know we've been teasing our listeners, but this is where the action is about to happen because we've established everything about Ehud. We've set the scene. And, you know, Eglin was a very proud, and we mentioned he's also a very obese king. And Ehud, he goes to see the king. He goes to see Eglin. And he makes his way to see the king. And then after seeing the king, he's leaving now, right? And then when he's about to leave the, the king's courts, he turns and he, he, says, he says to King Eglin, King, can I tell you something in private? Can I whisper something to you? Now, as the king who's in charge, 
who has captured the, I'll say a great nation, because this is not no normal nation. This is the nation of God, right? This is a nation who has the strongest, most powerful entity or being that has ever existed from before time until the end of time. This is this is the omnipotent God that we're talking about. This is his nation. So he has them captive. So he's not, I'm sure he will have a sense of pride. He's feeling strong. He's feeling like confident, like what's going to happen to me? I'm surrounded by my men. Um, these, these Israelites, they work for me. They're under my captive. So he's comfortable. He's got nothing to worry about. So he says to Eglin, when, when Eglin asks him to speak in private, he sends his men out. King Eglin calls Ehud. And Ehud goes close and is about to whisper. And Ehud takes a dagger that he has sharpened from his thigh and puts it inside of Eglin. We, re- we now realize the extent of Eglin's size because the whole dagger, even the handle of the dagger, has gone all the way in. Now, this was a two-edged dagger that he sharpened and he's trapped to the inside of his thigh that went all the way inside of King Eglin. From then, he walks and he's leaving, and he's exiting the place. And his men, they come, they see the door of the king's court close, and they believed at that point that he was in the toilet, he was using the bathroom. They left it, they came back, and the door was still closed, and they were like, let's go in, let's go in, let's, let's check on our king. And they find Eglon falling over, or bent over on himself. Ehud was already long gone, escaped nowhere to be found how was this so easy for Ehud how because I mean you're reading the story and in your mind we've all seen like action movies we've seen these tv shows and you're like they they take so much time so much strategy so much planning like you see these um whether it be these mafia men or these kings or monarchies they're protected by all of these soldiers these men that are willing to die for them. And if you go in, they're always guarded. There's no way you're making it out. Even if you're coming in, usually there's a sort of pat down. They check your body. They check, like, how is it so easy? How was Ehud able to, sm- to smuggle a two-edged dagger, kill their king, and escape? Guys, come on, spread some light because it blows my mind. Anyone that... Dan, yeah. Dan, you, you want to jump in? <laughs> let, me, let me just say this right quick. You, you, you take it right quick. Before, before we even get to that, like, it, oh, the, yeah, the, let's bring one, it back. one of the key things I, I want to know about Ehud is that Ehud is fed up with this government. Like, he's fed up with it, and he's upset about it, and he says, I got to do something about it. Now, he does all that sort of stuff, but because, but because of his anger towards the government, I'm speaking to somebody right here. Because of his anger towards the systematic government that is going on in his day and age, he does something, and this thing changes the course of his people. And so what I'm trying to say to our listeners right here, uh, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry at at what your government does, at what the the, the civil laws do, whatever the case is. It's okay, because it's it's unjust. If it's unjust, it's wrong. it's, it's, It's totally wrong. And sometimes... God uses the anger, not, you know, not in sin. God uses the anger 
to to push us to make a decision to go to go and do something. And sometimes it's through situations because honestly, Israel without even you know let, let's just say in this bondage, whatever the case is, if somebody didn't get angry, probably would have just stayed there for, for a, a whole minute. Somebody didn't just step up and do something. So, uh, and I'm speaking to England. I, I know because, you know, I talk to Kess all the time. I talk to Jess. I, I know some of the things that y'all go through up there, um, even though it may not be as severe racism as it is here. Um, y'all still go through this, the systematics. They're, you know, you still get placed out of jobs because of your color. You Somebody gets... Uh, uh, in a position before you because of your color. Uh, there's they, just there's just certain things that y'all go through and we go we're going through because of our colors. And it takes somebody getting angry. <laughs> it takes somebody getting upset, and uh, in order for somebody to do something, whether that's marching, whether that's whether that's uh, talking out in front of publics, or just doing something in your community, um, use that anger for something else. A lot of times we use it to abuse others. That's not the case. We need to use it for God's honor and glory. Elder, come in. Take, take it away from me. Yeah, um, I'm actually glad I let you go first because I like that point. Um, um, the only thing I'll add is that when, when we look at the how of Ehud and how, how did he get that close to the king? How did he escape? He, I get the picture that he walked out easily. Like he, He's not running away from his palace because it was such a smooth and well-laid plan, when we look at the question of how, we have to go back to verse 15, I believe, where it says that the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. This tells me that God was responsible for Ehud, right? So it's, it's almost a picture of divinity and humanity working together. And anyone who's watched those movies that Kesh, you mentioned earlier, those stories that we see on television, when we have someone spying out the land, and telling us where the, the traps are, we're able to avoid those traps and get to the goal where we're trying to meet. So when I see that God raised up a deliverer, it's basically telling me, God is saying, I'm going to take care of you in such a way that when this is done, no one will believe that it happened the way that it happened. And that's the story that I want to uh, highlight as it relates to our listeners. Say that again, say that again, say that again, say that again. God, God is taking care of Ehud in such a way that when the story is over, no one is going to realize that it happened the way that it happened, right? So when God takes control of our lives, when we are available to God, when we're tired of the government or when we're tired of things that are happening in this world and we make ourselves available to God, he's able to use us in such a way that when they tell our story, no one will believe what we did. And I believe that's the story of the gospel. When we see Jesus coming as a babe to this earth and growing to live as a man and be who he was, as we see in the gospels, and then to die the way that he did, being sinless, and this whole idea of him dying as it relates to the story of salvation, no one can believe that. How in the world does a man die for someone and that person that's dying, Jesus himself did nothing wrong. I don't know many people who would die for someone and they themselves did nothing wrong. So when we see in verse, four, in verse 15 that God raised up a deliverer, that tells me that God was responsible for Ehud overthrowing this particular government in such a way that no one would believe with the logic and all of the intelligence that we have on this side of the earth. How in the world, like you said, Kes, did he 
get past the guards? How in the world did he did get this close to the king and kill him so much so that the guards was thinking, well, he's probably relieving himself, so we're going to give him some more time. I want to know exactly how much time they waited before they busted those doors. It could have been 15 minutes. It could have been 20. It could have been a half an hour. But it, they, they were so worried that, wait a minute, even if he's in his private chambers, we have to break these doors down because if we don't, then what does that say about us? So the message here before I throw it back to Kesswar listeners is God is waiting to use us in a story such as this. And that story might be, I just need to come into your life and turn it around in such a way that the people that you grew up with cannot recognize you after I've spent some time with you. Wow. 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 That is powerful. And it's crazy because it's, it's so clearly depicted in the story. When you look at Ehud, his stature may not have been one of soldier or army mentality. He, he may not even have been the smartest. He was born left-handed. He was an outcast from births, from, from the time he was in his womb. In his mother's womb, he was an outcast. He was not ready from ready for this world. He yes, he was from the line of Benjamin, but naturally, he was the last person, the last person, either the Israelites or the Moabites would have suspected. And it's crazy because. Our listeners may be thinking or may have read the story and still be confused with the the like the the need or the attention that's placed on him being left-handed. If you send in a right-handed soldier, when they go to attack, they will naturally attack with their right hand. If there was some sort of pat down, then a right-handed soldier will place would have placed a dagger in the inside of his left thigh. So maybe the the men of King Eglin, maybe they did all the checks, but they did the checks based off of the worldview. Now, I don't know if anyone's been studying our quarterly this 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 quarter, but it focuses on education and it's all about looking at things from God's view, naturally, we do things based on our own worldview. And the soldiers may have been operating from what they know, but God always has a different way of operating. And when we want things to happen, we want things to happen within our time, the way we want it, not realizing that we may already be exercising our testimony or or working through things ourselves via God's way and it's crazy that a left-handed person took it from his the inside of his right thigh he stuck it into the the belly of King Eglin and he walked out now if you realize it, it could have been as you rightly said Elder it could have been maybe 15 minutes or so that the men of um, King Eglin waited but when you read the story you read that the king's courts 
were on the sort of the highest level of a palace, the highest maybe to the back somewhere, you and you also get more um, validity of the location from stories, let's say, of David and Bathsheba. David was on the top of his course and he looked down and he saw Bathsheba. So this is where the king usually dwelt. So Ehud was able to make it all the way down, slowly, silently, slipping past all the guards to make his escape. He probably didn't even need to rush or run because when you when you think about when something is planned by man it can only go as far or as good as man can plan it but when something is planned by god it doesn't matter what obstacle what comes in the way there is no blocking or hindering the lord's plan oh. and we've seen yeah go on Daniel. Oh. Yeah, man, just, just just getting right in. Uh, this is all God's doing in, in the text. Like this is all His doing because the you know everybody would look at that that, that text verse twenty four when they're thinking that He's going relieving Himself. They'd be like, why well, why is that place in the Bible? What you know what is? God is confusing His bodyguards and holding them for the next couple minutes just so that way this king could die. <laughs> just, just so that their king could die. Like, there's nothing in the Bible, our listeners, who are listening, like, there's nothing in the Bible that is there by happenstance, by coincidence. No, it's there for us to take. You know what I'm saying? He's, they're thinking that he's believing himself, and God is holding them for that moment. And then, was it? The, the text says that they thought they were, they were embarrassed. They were just like, okay, we need to go do something. They're embarrassed because usually, I believe naturally, they would have walked in and said, hey, what's going on here? Or something like that. But they're embarrassed because they... <laughs> it's, it's all mashed up. And it was God's doing that he would slip out. It was God's doing that, that Ehud would go quickly to the mountains, gather up all the men, and hit them right there. It was all God's doing. And that, and, and a lot, and that should keep us humble. That, that should keep us all humble. When, when, when we're in a plan or a process and we're just like, Lord, I don't know how it's going to happen. But it happens. You know what I'm saying? And you know, you know, it's crazy, Daniel, that you made that point. Because God has been confusing the devil from the beginning of time, the devil, when when he was when it was first Lucifer, and he became jealous, and he he persuaded a third of the angels, and he believed that he could have fought against God. He lost that battle. God created he created a world. The devil was in the form of a serpent. And he tricked Adam and Eve, and he thought that he would be confusing the human race, and he thought that he would have won. But little did he know that God already had a plan of redemption in place. Like, God has been confusing the devil time and time again. And you know, the joke is, God has already said what he will do. It's written in the word of God. I believe this might be slightly controversial statement. But I believe that the devil probably knows the Bible or the word of God better than any man who has lived or walked on the earth. Because he has had, since the beginning of time, to know every single word. And he knows, he knew the, he knew the beginning and he knows his end. We don't know the beginning and the end of God. But the devil knows his end. 
and he is just trying to confuse the human race, thinking that he can last a bit longer when he already knows his end. And it's just crazy. And we just see in this story that so much could have happened and so much could have potentially from an outsider looking in you would think the story could have gone wrong in so many different ways or it's a very it's very hard to believe but like jj has mentioned god only performs hard to believe stories he only performs miracles that are not that human beings cannot necessarily fathom with our small mindedness and it's crazy because this is the god that we serve and this is the god that has that already delivered his nation even even before his nation called upon him while they were lingering for 18 years god had a plan awaiting all they had to do was call upon was call upon him and like every time i read the story I, i just think about all the different possibilities it blows my mind. Nah, bro. I, I, I was going to say, man, um, I, I was really blessed by that point, Elder, what she said. <laughs> the fact that, man, he just, he, he, he doesn't operate on, on what we do. Like, he just does totally have normal things. Like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> like, 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 why would you do that? And it's just to, 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 to remind us, I, I believe, to, to help us to understand that he is God over our lives. And if he can do it, he surely can get us through. And to our listeners who are speaking, who are, you know, who are listening right now, um, this pandemic that you're in, this pandemic that we're all in, um, this time of uneasiness, of pain, this is, it's crazy, it's crazy times. But the Lord of Ehud, the God of Ehud, the God who was there during Ehud's time, is the same God today. And Elder, if you could touch on that for a little bit, just to just to encourage our listeners right now who may be going through. Yeah, um, it's it's challenging to experience all of the things that in individual experiences on a day-to-day basis. Like we, we said earlier, there there are many challenges, um, there are many circumstances that are outside of our control that just just fall on us. And as a counselor, I'm in conversations with individuals who are 18, 19, and 20 years old, and there's classes on Zoom, and they're getting Zoom fatigue, and there's stuff that's going home, going on in their home life. There's stuff that's going on in their individual life, and all of this is showing up in their classwork. It's showing up in their GPA, and some, some students were, you know, pretty concerned about their grades because of all of the things that they've had to adjust to, that we've had to adjust to um, this particular semester. So when we look at this story and the the confusion of God for Ehud's enemies, we see that same pause in our life. There's things in the midst of the struggles that we're having. There's things that God has paused from coming our way. And he's paused those things so that we can have another opportunity to know him um, in a more personal way. And as we live through these unfortunate experiences, 
this story should remind us that God hears our cry. And not only does he hear our cry, he literally already has a plan in place for when we call out on him. The challenge for us is to call out on him. And it's, it's real easy to do that when the music is nice, when the preaching is good. It's real easy to do that on Sabbath. God, I'm sorry for all I've done. Please forgive me for my sins, etc. But the challenge is, can I call out on God on Tuesday afternoon when I feel like I'm good? Can I call out on him when I feel like I have it all together? And I want to challenge ourselves, catch Daniel, I want to challenge us, and I want to challenge our listeners to always be in the state of, I need God. Because it is in that state of mind that we don't become complacent like this king did, where he wasn't even able to be aware of the potential attack of his enemy. I think we touched, we we may have missed that point this time. This is his enemy coming to him. This is not a friend. This is not a family member. This is the opposing king coming to say, I've got a message for you. No way that happens if he's aware of his circumstances, but because he's um, filled and inundated with his being a king, he was less likely to see the attack coming. So as, as I wrap up and throw it back to Kess, our encouragement is that no matter where we are in our life, God is available to us and he has a plan for us. It is our responsibility to submit to him and say, God, I'm crying out to you. I give this concern over to you. Please take care of me. And he will answer. He will respond with the plan. Yo, everybody, listen, I, I've been blessed. I, I, I've been tremendously blessed. And I know our host, Kess, and our guest, I'm afraid you has been blessed as well. Listen, we've had a good time talking about you. And I hope you all are blessed. Listen, don't just don't take our word for it. Go to the text yourself. You may draw something out that may be totally uh, what the text is going along with, but it may be totally different from what we have. Please take your Bibles and study with us as we go to these. And listen, uh, you all, as, as we learn the story of Ehud, God uses people who we may not think uh, ought to be used, and yet he does it because it's his grace and mercy to find us in the time of need. So listen, all of our listeners, viewers, whatever the case is, be blessed, have a good time, and continue on the next time as we go in deeper into God's word. God bless you.